Yeah, join, join if, or if you yeah, have a hymnal, you know, or your phone, you'll probably find the lyrics too. Okay. Yes, no, okay. not no, one.
Well, you told me yesterday, but Okay. So, I'm part of a ministerial. I get together with a number of other pastors in the area, and we do that every couple months, every other month, and we met yesterday at our church, Woodland Christian Church in the Fellowship Hall. We had lunch together, and we were talking, and a couple of the pastors observed something that I thought was really good and worth passing along, that this virus has dramatically brought families together. It has really slowed everyone down. Do you guys remember a few weeks or maybe a couple months ago, in a sermon I talked about the nation with the people who work the most? Does anyone remember who? Does anyone remember what nation has the people who work the most? Yeah, yeah, us, actually, the United States. So I would have thought, Japan or yeah, China so works yeah, the most, yeah. but yeah, they seem notorious for working hard, and it turned out that we work more hours per week than any other nation well, in the world. No, because there's other nations that have more people than us, uh, other other countries that have more people than us, and we could be smaller and still work more hours per week. It, d- it doesn't mean that the total number of hours means yeah, average per person per week. We work the most. And so what this virus has done in... What this virus has done has caused people's lives to slow down. Businesses are shutting down. People are working from home. They're not able to be as productive. And so it's really taken families and put them together. And I think that's a really wonderful thing. Because as busy as we are, as fast-paced as our, as our country is, or as our lives are, it can be hard to spend time together. And so it's kind of like God has, you know, tapped the brakes and said that we're going to be together. All right. So, here's some statistics I read today. According to the National Center for Education Statistics, the average number of hours in a public school day is 6.64, and this doesn't include the time spent walking, driving, buddy, aren't you looking at those kids? And leave your fingers on, please. Or riding the bus to and from school. The average number of school days per year is 180, which adds up to a little under 1,200 hours per year that kids are in school. And again, that doesn't include the time walking, and driving on a bus, and so forth. So by the time, Public school students graduate from high school, they spent over 15,000 hours, almost 16,000 hours away from their parents. And so the schools have closed down. It's taken a lot of kids, pushed them into the home, and now (laughs) it's like a bunch of homeschool families, kind of. And so the question is, how are we using this time as families? What are we doing with the, I would say, blessing God's given us in allowing us to be together like this? Yeah, go ahead, buddy. Well, before this, we played football. Yeah, and I know that between this Bible study and playing football, you guys enjoy football considerably more, and that's uh, fine. I think it's important to do fun stuff with our kids, and I probably don't do enough. So, yeah, it was nice playing football before this. Karis? I don't know what you mean. So we probably aren't going to get into a conversation about going to public school. The one thing I just wanted to share was that with all the hours that 
kids are in school or going to school or revolving around school. It's just a lot of time away from parents. I was going to say something that, that, it, would, that it was bad to go to that place, but I wanted to make sure. Okay, we're not going to talk about that. So... So, but now, with the schools closing down, and lots of kids at home, and families being there, fine, families being together, then let's consider what that should look like. So turn to Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6. Since we're jumping into this book, who remembers what it's about? Wait, are we still in the same chapter? 6 what? Deuteronomy 6. We talked about Deuteronomy recently. Yeah, Deuteronomy means second law. Can you explain why it's called the second law? So nice and loud. Two, two, like you know, dose. Yep, nomos means law. So second law. So why is Deuteronomy called the second law? Right? Uh, because the Israelites were in the promised land and they needed a new law. Mm -hmm. or, no, no, I mean because the Israelites were in the promised land and so they were in the new I don't know. Okay, Ricky? Because um, on Mount Sinai, there was the first, I don't know, generation. What call, generation of people, and they got the first law, and Moses counted them at. Uh, Mount Sinai, which was why it was called Numbers, because he numbered the people and how many people were going to be before they went into the promised mm -hmm. land. So when they got to the promised land, there was they all died off, and then there was a second generation that he counted Good. when they got to the promised land, and that got the second law because the first generation got the first law in Mount Sinai. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so just just to be clear, I don't want to say first law or second law as though they were two different laws. Um, Basically, it was the second generation getting the law, or the people of Israel getting the law for the second time, yeah, the new generation, yeah, but it was the same law, which is why when you read Deuteronomy, it's a lot like reading Leviticus. So it's called second law because the law is being given for the second time to the Israelites who are going into the promised land because the first generation that had gotten the law at Sinai had died during the 40 years of wandering, and now the new generation is about to enter, and they need to receive the law themselves. When you say that the first generation got the law, I thought that Moses smashed the law into the ground so they didn't. How did they get it after He that? broke the, the tablets that have the, the Ten Commandments on it, but How they still they still got the law for that. God still gave it to them. Yeah. There's just, there was 623 commands. Moses broke 10 of them, so they got the 613 that were left. Really? No. Yeah. So, he broke it and gave it to him again. Yeah. We'll probably go to the McDonald's pool. <laughs> I don't know when we'll go. Next time. Next time, yeah. The next time you go to the... No, no. The next time we go to the Donald's pool, we will go to the Donald's pool. So you're right. Next time. Alright? Okay, so get around me. So you're going to the promised land. God has these very important words for them. And who wants to read? I have it right in my Oh, okay. You want to read first one, Ricky or Johnny? Now this is the command, commandment, the state, statutes. Statutes, yeah. Statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commands. 
What word? Because that was a good question. So Lord is what's called small caps when it represents the name of God that God gave to Moses in Exodus 3, Yahweh or Jehovah. What is that? When you see Lord in verse 1, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord, and Lord is in small caps, the O-R-D is small capital letters. That's when you're seeing Yahweh or Jehovah or Jehovah, covenant name of God. All right. Sure. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son, and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Good. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. And Trevor's for right here. see them because they were broken, the stone tablets. So where were the commands originally? Breath? On stone. On stone. And God said he wanted them where? On Do you see it in the verse? Can you look in the verse? It's okay, you didn't find it. Verse 6. You just read it. So he didn't just want them on stone tablets. He wanted them on, on their hearts. On okay, what does that mean? On your heart. That's right. <laughs> on your heart. No, that's not what like, you do. In your chest. No, what you do. So it's closer to the middle. Yeah. But it's not even referring to your physical heart. It's talking about 
who you that are. You and what yeah, so what does it mean? What does it mean that God says he wants his commands you on their heart? That it doesn't go through one ear and come out the other, but you know that you actually, like, study it and know it. And actually know it and actually, like, look and not just be like, okay, lucky God, I'm from your heart, God. Yep. I thought it was like the memorizing. That too, yeah. Memorizing it, knowing it. Although the religious leaders of Jesus' day had a lot of the Old Testament or the commands memorized, but it wasn't on their heart. So, yeah, it's right there. Yeah, actually, that's where we're about to read. Very good. So that he wanted them to have the, in other words, in other words, here's what he's saying. He didn't want the commands outward or external. He wanted them internal, inside them. Very good. Yes. Inside. Inside them. Yes, in your hearts. Yeah. All right? Okay, verse 7. All right, right, Chris. Verse 7. You shall teach them. church's responsibility to teach children or or train children. But the Old Testament and the New Testament both state that it's the responsibility not of, definitely not of the school system, not of the government, and not even of the church to diligently teach children. It's the responsibility of the parents. And so you know, I'm the pastor of the Holy Christian Church, but more than that, I'm your father, and I have the responsibility to make sure that you guys are learning the Word of God. So, Dad, 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 what? You, think you, have them you guys, I'm not responsible no, for that. Oh, 
all the other children. Okay, so verse Ephesians 6, where you have to turn there, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Fathers, bring up your children in the training and the admonition or instruction of the Lord. And so this verse is interesting because understandably, we typically think that the teaching or instruction of children rests on whose shoulders in the family? In the family. Mothers? Mothers, typically. We think that. We think that the mothers are responsible with teaching the children. And, and there is a lot of truth. They are. They're, that is. But not just. Yeah, that is. Like you doing study. Yeah. Well, specifically, I'm responsible with your spiritual instruction. Mommy does a great job teaching you guys. She does, and I appreciate that. Yep, I appreciate that. I think there's lots of wonderful mothers who are pouring into their children spiritually, teaching them, instructing them. If it's a pro, is it appropriate? I'm trusting you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So. Okay. So, anyway, Mommy, I love that she teaches you guys math, reading, writing, all these other things. Anne reads some Bible stories with you guys, but God puts this responsibility on Father's shoulders to do the spiritual instruction in the home. So I can't sit back and I can't say this as a father. I can't say, well, Mommy will handle teaching the kids the Bible. She can handle it, and she does do a good job with it, but it's still primarily my responsibility. I can't say she has it under control, so I don't have to worry about it. I'll just let her deal with it. Um, this is my most important ministry, second only to being a husband, and even more important than being a pastor is pastoring you guys or shepherding you guys. Do you feel that way? Does that make sense what I'm saying? Does it make sense what I'm saying? Because in this case, the church or the pastor is supposed to take care of us. Yeah, yeah. Okay, listen to, this, listen to this interesting verse that God said about Abraham. This is cool. God said about Abraham, I have chosen him that he may direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. And one more, one more time, this is the important part. God says, I've chosen Abraham that Abraham may direct his children and household after him to keep the way of the Lord. And this is really what God would say to every father, that every father has a responsibility to direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. But his children aren't supposed to tell Johnny to If God blesses Johnny with kids, then Johnny will have the same responsibility to direct his children and his household after him to Keep away the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Yes. Do I have kids? I don't even know. He can't get married. Perhaps if that's what I have. Did you read all of it? 
No, no. We got to teach our children diligently. Okay, teach your children diligently. He wants to start reading there. Now listen. I referring to the commands from earlier in the verse. If, like you teach them, them the teach them, the them is the commands, not people. Yeah, that makes that you sounds. You shall teach the commands to yeah. oh, The okay. statutes, like in verse, chapter 6, verse 1, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, and those, or them, that's what you're going to teach, okay. to show the statutes and the rules. Keeping all his commandments and his statutes, says in verse 2. Alright, good. Um, so in verse 7, listen to this, I'll read it from the beginning then. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. So the repeated use of the word when is communicating what? Yeah, all the time. It's like God is just saying, when you do this, when you do that, when you do this, when you do that, when you sit in the house, when you go walking, when you leave the house, when you lie down, when you rise up, all these different ways, God is saying what, Johnny? Okay, are you paying attention? Okay. I'll read it one more time, okay? Can you look at me? Don't play the fingers of the Bible. Just look at me. I'll talk to you. I bet you'll understand, buddy, okay? You. Okay? Okay, so... You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them, the commands, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Okay, go ahead. But you didn't say that. So go ahead and say what you want. What do you think it's saying? I don't understand. Okay, that's all right. What do you think he's saying? Yeah, he's just saying all the time. Talk to your kids about. Yeah, they talk for sure. Yeah. Uh, just all the time. All the time, you're talking to your kids about the word of God. When I was in the army, they had, you know, the military pants you wear. I mean, yeah. you can picture them. They have all these big pockets and everything. Yeah, cargo pants. Yeah, cargo pants. Yeah, they have cargo pockets on. And they had a saying that you always have to have uh, a training in your pocket training or something to teach in your pocket. They don't mean it literally. They're just saying they're just saying that any moment you should be able to reach into your pocket. Like, okay, in the military 
there's a lot of sitting and waiting. There's a lot of, because they want to move hundreds or thousands of soldiers, and they have to get them to a certain place before they move, and everyone has to get there early. So picture this. Let's say there's a battalion, and they say the battalion's going to leave at 10 o'clock. So then the battalion commander tells the battalion, okay, so you need to be here at 945. And then the company commander says, okay, if the company needs to be here at 945, you guys need to be here at 930. And then the platoon leaders say, okay, if company formation is at 930, then the platoon formation is at 915, because being late is like worse than anything in the military. What and so then you're going to be in a lot of trouble, because then the whole unit you know, will have to wait for you. Imagine the thousands of soldiers have to wait for one guy to show up. So then the platoon leader, the platoon leader says, okay, if the platoon formation is at this time, then we're going to be here 15 minutes early. And then the squad leader looks at his squad and says, if the platoon formation is time, we're going to be here 15 minutes. So you've got people that all show up, you know, an hour or two hours before they're going to do anything. And they're just sort of, you're standing around a lot in the military. So then, this is why they said as officers, as officers, we always have to have a training or a teaching in our pocket that we can pull out. No, it's not a real teaching you're going to pull out. So, hey, look at this teaching. The idea is you can reach down and pull out something to teach to your soldiers at any time. And I think of that, uh, if, if you're uh, I'm not sure if it would be allowed or not to pull out a Bible and teach the verses. I'm not sure. But I, do know, but I do know this is what God wants. Huh? You're allowed to have a Bible there, right? You can have a Bible, yeah. So I do know this is what God wants for us as parents. When he says when you're sitting down, when you're walking around, when you're lying down, when you're rising up, talk about my commandments and statutes means we need to have something we can pull out all the time to talk to our kids about. You yeah, don't so. need to be that. If when it says it should be on your heart, doesn't mean just like always have it there because you're going to have to look at it, but like on your heart, like know what to say when you have to say it. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yep. Does that make sense, John? Yes. So always being ready to talk about God's word. So here's, here's a question for you guys. What are some Bible topics, not necessarily Bible stories, but what are some topics from the Bible that would come up throughout the day that we could talk about? Just from doing life together or just, you know, families that are crammed into a house, spending every moment together when they haven't been together that much previously, what are some topics that are going to come up? You got something? He did have to wait. Yeah, he had a lot of time to pray and to think. Ricky? The Ten Commandments. Uh, Just on your daily basis, what, like, what you need to be asking. Are you talking about, like, arguing or patience? Yes, kind of. That's all right. No, that's fine. You guys are all fine, what you said. What are topics from the Bible? The Ten Commandments definitely introduce topics that apply. Patience, arguing. Patience, forgiveness, kindness. Joy, service, gentleness, all of these are topics that come out throughout the forgiveness. Look. Okay, here we go. 
So there's lots of topics that come up throughout our day, day-to-day -day situations that we can talk about, and we can regularly say, so here's what's going on. If you're watching this and you see me with my kids, Karis keeps regularly taking corners and folding them, so she ruins Bibles. So I almost... Okay, yeah. So I'm always trying to stop her from this bad habit of ruining the corners on the Bible. So. Okay. No, it's okay. So, see, here's a topic we could be gentler and kinder. And Worry about yourself. The reason that our kids are not gentler and kinder is because mommy and I are not gen gentler and kinder at times. Or as gentle and kind as we should be at times. And that sure comes down to our kids. So, um, so yeah, when these, si when, these si slide in, please. when these situations come up, it's an opportunity for us as parents to say, what does the Bible say about this? What does God's word say about this? How does God want us to handle this? What verses come to mind that apply to this? What verse would tell us how to act? Or what verse would tell us that we shouldn't be acting this way? Right? So these are all different ways to be doing exactly what this is saying and talking about it when we rise up or lie down. Sometimes when we look out and there's a beautiful, um, you see the moon very clearly or there's a beautiful sunset. Sometimes we went outside and just tremendous colors, right? Yeah. When we've seen a sunset? Yeah. Well, when we see, I mean, just standing in our front yard, you know, we don't have to go to the ocean or to the top of a mountain for this sort of wonderful view. When we look up and see the sunset like that, what is a good statement? Or that's an opportunity for what? His creation uh, shows his glory. Yeah, it's an opportunity to say, wow, look at the glory of God, or to draw attention to the creator. Mom, it's, we're, we're, what's our verse that we do? Let no one wholesome talk come out of your mouth, except for what is helpful for building up the one in need and bringing grace to those who listen. That's our verse. Find out what that is. Don't put it down. Put it down. Put it down. Put it away. It's 743. Wow. That's what I thought. Okay, so, okay, one second. So, we played outside earlier. As you guys can see, if you're watching the kids, I mean, we do Bible study. Just like, keep going, Daddy. Okay, so when we see something beautiful in creation, it's an opportunity to give praise to the Creator and appreciate His power and His majesty behind this wonderful creation that we get to enjoy and experience. Right? Does that make sense, Karis? What did I say? It's <laughs> Can you hear what I said? Experiments. Yes, God was experimenting on all the colors. Okay. He's experimenting with the five colors. You listen, please. Listen to me for a second. Listen to me. And you listen to me, please. If we walk outside and we see a beautiful sunset or we go to the ocean and we get to see how beautiful the ocean is and the waves or we look up at night and we see all the stars and the moon... That is an opportunity for us to do what? To be nice. Okay. Talk about how to be nice. <laughs> no, yeah. no, you like this. To be nice. Always to be nice. It's an opportunity to share. Okay, okay. Let me If you saw a beautiful picture or painting, you would say, "Wow, the painter is amazing." 
You would look at the sunset and say, wow, the, that is a beautiful creation. And the creator is God. amazing, wonderful. So the Lord is creation. Yeah, so we want to give credit and glory to God, the creator, when we see the beauty. So anyway, I'm just saying these are opportunities for us yeah. to do what this says. Yeah. So when I, was in the, when I was really into fitness, there used to be this debate about when people should do cardio. Did I ever tell you guys this? No. Okay. Now I'm going to roll tonight all these new stories to share. So when I was super into fitness, one of the big debates was the best time, believe it or not, to do cardio. They'd argue about what the best time is to do cardio. I do it now just for health. I'm not doing it for bodybuilding. So... Yeah, debates. So debates, <laughs> debates, and Duggars talk about cardio and the best time to do. Okay. So debates and Duggars talk about the best time to do cardio, and they argue about it. So some people say you're supposed to do cardio in the morning, first thing in the morning on your stomach. Some people say that that burns too much muscle. Other people say to have a meal first, or or even do it at the end of the day so you can burn the food you ate. Well, they go around and around with this, but then. Many people who have worked out for a long time basically just say the most important thing is just that you do it. And that's kind of my feeling with family Bible study or family worship. We can talk about whether it should be done, you know, first thing in the morning, but I think that there are many fathers who get up early and they're probably, their kids will not appreciate doing Bible study at four in the morning. And so for those families, they shouldn't, they shouldn't feel bad doing Bible study at seven at night. So their family worship, and if there's a father who goes home for lunch and he wants to do family worship at lunch, the most important thing is simply that fathers are gathering their families around the word of God. That's the most important thing. Whether that happens in the morning, in the evening, at lunch, is really a secondary issue. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, look at verse 8. Oh, yeah, I guess I would say this. The whole, let me connect the dots here why we're talking about this. One of the wonderful things associated with the coronavirus or the way that God is revealing Romans 8, 28, that he brings forth good through even something as terrible as the coronavirus is he's bringing families together and providing plenty of opportunities for fathers to gather their families around the word of God. The coronavirus, more than any other time in my lifetime that I can remember, is given opportunity for families to be together and come around the word of God and pray and sing. Yes, buddy? Do what? I will let you read. Yeah, just one second. No, it's all right. Okay, so let's just... Here's what would be very sad. Here's something I think would be sad. Are you listening? This is what I think would be sad. If there were families who were spending tons and tons of time at home together because of the coronavirus, and they were just watching a lot of TV. And this is not a commentary on watching TV. And it's not a commentary on any other activities or, like I said, we played football earlier. Yeah, it's okay to It's okay to do things. But the point is, how terrible would it be to have all that time together and not center the family around the Word of God? Not talk about it. Not have family worship. Not pray together. Not sing together. And so, I don't, I don't know how many families might tune into this, but Take advantage of some of this time that you have to get around the Word of God together. And if I can encourage the fathers, your children might not be totally thrilled with doing that. 
that it's our greatest responsibility on the side of heaven. Okay, so um, I will say that, and I'll conclude that. Thank you. Good luck. Uh, with a little application. So, verse 8, go ahead, Johnny. Oh, sir. You'll get to read verse 9, okay? No. You're doing well. As a Ricky? sign sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets. 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 Yeah, so the religious, the Jews in Jesus' day had become so legalistic that they were securing, when it says them, bind them, that means the commands or statutes of God, they took this so literally that they were binding verses in scrolls on their wrists and on their foreheads to have them before their eyes. But then, well, I guess, it, well, that's a good question, exactly, so that's why I don't think... So that's why I don't take it as literally as it sounds. The point is simply this, and Mommy said it a moment ago. The, the point doesn't mean to literally put the verses on your wrist and your forehead. It means God's word should be before you all the time. Not literally, but in the sense that you're mindful of it. Does this make sense, what he's trying to say? It's like when Jesus says, you know, pluck out your eye, cut out your hand. He's talking about severity. It's not that literal. So he's saying God's word should always be before us. God's word should always be before us. Right? Always mindful of it. But they made these boxes called phylacteries, and they made them real big so they'd walk around and have big ones on their forehead, and they look silly. And Jesus, Jesus, yeah, didn't condemn them for phylacteries. He condemned them for making them big so they don't notice them. Okay, go ahead, Kevin. You shall write them on. You shall write them on the. No, you shall write them on the. And then it starts with a D. Okay, verse nine. You shall write them on the. The. Ricky. Doorpost. Doorpost. Yes. Doorpost of. You can put a verse up around your house. That sounds like a wonderful thing. Right? What better use of the walls in your home than to have verses that remind us and keep God's word always before us, like it's saying here. So it's nice to go into Christian homes. It's nice to go into Christian homes and see verses around the homes. Appreciate that mommy puts them around her house or that you put them on signs and stuff. All right. A few pieces of application. This went faster than I thought, so I want to try to <laughs> close and add a little bit of priority. So, for husbands, I, a gentleman in our church, I don't say his name is Steve Cash, he taught at one of the men's breakfasts a few months ago. And he said that one of the main, we tend, he said during this men's breakfast, that, we, that men tend to make one of two mistakes with family Bible study. They don't take it seriously enough, like they don't do it, they don't think it's important or they just think they're too busy for it or whatever reasons they find not to do it. 
That's one, mis one mistake. What's the other mistake with family Bible study? They don't take it seriously enough. And the other mistake is... They don't take it too seriously and are too disciplined. Mm, close. They take it too seriously and they make it into too big of a deal. They think it has to be like a sermon every single time. Two hours. Yeah, and it's got to be all studied out. And, well, I prepared a little more because I'm a little more, but the truth is I didn't prepare very much because I kind of want everyone to see what our family Bible study looks like. I didn't want something polished and, and um, fancy. I pretty much, because I didn't, I wanted something that looked manageable for husbands and reasonable. And so just to do what we normally do. So the point is men tend to think that it's not important enough or they think it's too important and they have to prepare and study for hours for it and then they end up not doing it. It is important. But it's important, but you don't have to overly prepare. Most husbands and fathers are not pastors like I am. They don't get 20, 30 hours a week to study God's word. They're working hard to care for their families. They are exhausted. Um, we talked earlier, you know, we're the hardest. We work more hours in our nation and so than any other nation. And so we have men that are really laboring for their families and then to think about trying to act like you know pastors and they're studying on top of that is just is, is yeah. unreasonable that. Um, coming from a child um uh our dads are going to work try to work hard and we just need to be there and instead of saying oh that's not as good as blah 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 mm -hmm. or this doesn't sound good we need to be that was really good, Dad. Even if it wasn't the best sermon you've ever heard, we just need to be supportive mm -hmm. of our fathers. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. I actually have some application for husbands, for mothers or wives, which we'll talk about in a moment, and for kids. And for any kids that are listening, I would say that one of the best ways you can encourage your father is by being attentive and asking questions. And I would say thank him, because if you have a... I don't know. So, what was I saying? Thank your dad. Yeah, thank your dad. If you have a father that reads the word with you, he probably is nervous and is afraid that it's not going to go well and that he's not going to answer all the questions and that he's going to embarrass himself. And I say that from the number of men that I've spoken to who have shared those uh, sentiments like and yeah my first yeah our first bible saying how bad it was i thought and mommy was very encouraging and so for kids you know if your dad says hey let's read the bible together don't sigh and moan and groan and roll your eyes and talk and say are we almost done yet or can we go to this instead so don't make your dad feel bad, but thank him and encourage him because he's trying to be a spiritual leader and he's doing one of the most important things that he can do as a, as a father. And so, huh? I said don't ask because you don't say I didn't really mind that. Yeah. But your dad needs your support. And then, I, and then for any wives that are listening, encourage your husband. Be a support to him because God's given me a little window uh, into marriages through ministry with marriages and at conferences one of the most common um, thoughts men share with me very vulnerably when they get alone 
you know, when we're talking privately, is how terrified they are to pray and read the word with their families. And I've heard that more times than I can count. And so I think many, many wives don't understand that. They aren't aware of how, how fearful their husbands are to pray and read the word with their families because they don't, they're afraid of how they're going to sound. They're not going to sound like the guy on the radio or the pastor at church. And so they really need your encouragement. One of the nice things Katie does is she helps round up the kids. She has a very busy schedule with all of our kids, homeschooling eight kids. And being a pastor's wife, that she really adjusts her schedule whenever um, we're in a family Bible study. She, um, you know, it's just a real blessing in that respect. And that she's, I've taught plenty of core Bible studies, plenty of things that I did not explain clearly or did not answer well. And I can honestly say I can't think of one time that Katie's ever made me feel foolish for anything that I've ever done or said. And when she's, you know, correcting me if I've been too intense with the kids during Bible study, she usually does it privately. So very thankful for her. And I would just encourage the other wives to try to be. And if you make an, if you make withdrawals from your husband, make sure you've made plenty more deposits. Um, two for any, deposits for each withdrawal. Yeah, yeah, two or twenty deposits. That sounds like for works covering up. Well, it does. I think if a woman is going to criticize her husband or question something he's saying, it's it's reasonable, but she should have made some number of encouraging statements to him to offset any criticism that he's going to receive. And why should just remember how fortunate they are to have a husband that reads the Bible with them. So, what I what I try to do, and I'll just close with this, and we'll take prayer requests. Is I don't study for our family Bible studies. I don't. you know, get out commentaries or anything along those lines. That's one extreme I think can be avoided. But the other extreme is probably don't dig into passages that you're not familiar with. So I usually try to choose passages that I have some familiarity with. Even though I'm not studying them out thoroughly, I usually tackle places that I hope to go really answer the kids' questions. Yes. So, all right. Well, we'll take uh, any prayer requests. Okay, I want to share some with you. And I appreciate you anyone at home tuning in praying for this too so we have a woman in our church Laverne Armstrong and she's been in the hospital and they amputated her right leg above the knee it means they took her leg off above the knee and she's in the hospital still wait she has no leg they she doesn't have a leg um, below the knee so it was and she's fighting that faction anyway please just pray for Laverne Armstrong I spoke to her daughter on the phone today she can't we can't visit her or really do anything other than pray at this time. Because of the coronavirus? Uh, no, just because of her condition, although the, I think the coronavirus weighs on them too. Yes, buddy? Um, can you pray for the tooth that's coming in my tooth? Okay, Chloe has a tooth coming in. Oh, yeah. And I think that's one thing I might say. I don't want to pry into your homes too I don't want to, I don't want to pry into your homes too much, but I will say whatever your children ask for prayer for, I would encourage you to Muscles. take it seriously uh-huh. unless it's immoral or selfish or something. Yeah, so please do. Okay. Oh, yeah, I have one. Okay. Uh, I had a tooth one. Oh, no, you got a tooth one, too? No, wait, wait. Oh, sorry. Uh, the tooth is going in. Or stuck in your mouth. In your mouth. Kerosene, so I'll put Chloe's and Karis's teeth. That's a big problem. Anything unrelated? Anything else? Yeah. Um, I have a little bit of juice that's, no, been, inside my, that's been inside okay. my mouth for two 
Chloe and Karis and Tommy. See, basically, just break the lock of your children's teeth around a lot of issues with uh, in, our, in our mouths recently. So, do you have something to? They tell you braces, and it's pretty painful. Oh, something's stuck in the Fathers to be confident to read the word with their families. Very good. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, uh, and kids and mothers yeah. to be respectful. Good. Uh, is it no. Okay. No more being silly. All right. Okay, who wants to pray for Laverne for her healing and strength? Okay, Johnny. Who wants to pray for the kids' teeth? Okay, Chris. Are you going to pray seriously? And who wants to pray for the fathers to be confident? Okay, you can pray for, you can pray for the fathers, and you can pray for kids and mothers to be... Wait, for mothers and kids to be respectful. All right, and then I'll close at the end, and then uh, we'll close our study. All right, Ricky, go ahead and open us, please. Lord, um, I pray for Mrs. Laverne and as she's in...
instructed, and I pray that uh, the mothers and children will be respectful and that they will uh, compliment and not be constantly withdrawing and eliminating. God, thank you for this time, and I pray for the families in our church that despite the distance between us while we're kept at home and separated in this respect, that you still allow us to be close through Christ. I think about Paul's words where he'd say that although he was absent uh, in body, he was present in spirit, that you keep us close to each other and our fellowship and unity uh, strong and healthy, and that you make us good stewards of this time that we have to be together as families, and especially that fathers would gather their um, families around the word of God and pray with them. And I do thank you for this time tonight. If there's anything that was from you, that it would be well received by anyone who tuned in. And I do thank you and ask that you be with uh, each of the families that was listening. Uh, it is a privilege that, as fathers to lead our families well, Lord, and by your grace, I pray that all the men who are listening can do so, and the wives can be an encouragement to them, and the children can be um, an encouragement as well. Thank you for all this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Well, thank you very much for tuning in tonight. And next Wednesday, 7 o'clock, Pastor Nathan, our associate pastor, will be leading the next Bible study. And I'm really looking forward to that. And then I'll see you, well, you'll see me, I guess, Sunday morning, 11 o'clock, we'll have our next live stream. And, all right. God bless you. Bye. Bye.